All right. Good morning. Good morning. We're glad you're here. If you're new with us, welcome. Um, we are in the middle of a series looking at what a church turns out to be, uh, which is much more than just a weekly teaching and singing event, uh, and how a church functions. And so if you would join me in Acts chapter two, if you have a Bible, we have an app. Uh, if you want to download that, uh, we've got, uh, uh, Bible version uh, there, or you've got some around you in the seat backs in front of you, or we'll put them up on the screens. Now, there are some points that are so profound, only artwork can do them justice. Can we agree? So if you remember, this diagram graced this stage two weeks ago. It was one of the most moving things that has ever, ever been discussed in this room, We talked about the idea, salvation is a process, right? In the scriptures, there are three tenses attached to salvation. We have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. And very often what Jesus does is he kind of meets us where we're at and then invites us to the next stage. He He doesn't invade everything all at once. For that, we're very profoundly grateful, right? He comes he rescues, and our, our deliverance is progressive and over time. And one of the very difficult things uh, as the people of God is to recognize this whole, whoops, this whole, no, this whole process, oh, this whole process, see that, it looks like a fish, um, this whole process it's governed by grace, right? We're running from grace to grace to more grace. We use the analogy of uh, my friend who, who got an A for a paper he hadn't yet written. And that the, the, in Christ, you, the literal grade verdict of your life has been already given. And that you are now free to live a life worthy of that grade. And so um, we also talked about the idea that all of this presupposes continued messiness among God's people, Right? If we were saved into perfection immediately, you would not need commands in the Bible that say, hey, forgive each other, bear with one another, be patient with each other, right? That all presupposes we're still working it out together. So we want to spend a little time talking about, well, how do you work it out? And are there times when we're to help each other move to the next click? So we're going to spend some time marinating on this passage right here. Very, very well known, and it's part of a bigger context. Unfortunately, we don't have time to, to uh, take in. But I want, want to just read you this sentence. If your brother or sister sins, and some manuscripts have against you here, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, if you're a church person at all, you've heard this verse uh, most likely. And what I want to do is I, I want to talk about a series of assumptions that are embedded in this teaching of Jesus. That unless you understand the assumptions, this teaching can be used to great, great abuse. And so uh, I want to look at Acts chapter 2, uh, and then we'll go to Romans, Acts chapter 2. Let's go to verse 42. Uh, this is a very famous summary of what the early church was like. Uh, Remember this, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now the temple courts were massive. And the early church in Jerusalem had at least 3,000 folks. So they had a large place where they could gather. But then notice, they broke bread in their, what's it say? In their homes. So the church didn't just meet in a large gathering. It also met in homes. In homes back then, maybe 20, maybe 30 people. Flip over to Romans chapter 16. In the middle of a long list of greetings, Paul uh, throws something in here that I, I find very interesting. Romans chapter 16, verse 3. My name is Mike. Happy Fourth of July. We got a lot to do, guys. We got a lot to, to cover, so no messing around today. All right, even though the beach balls are calling my name to be thrown out, and who can focus when there's ice cream? Romans 16, verse 3. Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. So, one of the things that when you think of the early church and the context in which Jesus was giving these teachings, don't think of a large, impersonal group of strangers. What you think of, the the primary unit of meeting in the early church was in homes. And homes were 20 or 30 people. And so with Jesus, oh, the dancing is over. All right, goodbye guys. By the way, this is designated kid dancing zone. Here, just so you know, Seth Erie will always make an appearance up here. 10 o'clock service. This over here is adult dancing zone. Okay, just so we're clear. So when we go back to Matthew... If your brother or sister sins, the assumption is that you are connected with a group of believers that you would call brothers and sisters. The assumption is that you, you're not just part of a, a large impersonal group of strangers, but you are doing life together and doing faith together with a group of people who are in the inside of your life and you're on the inside of theirs. See, When Jesus talks about pointing out faults to each other, he's not talking about just walking up to strangers and just dropping bombs, right? Like, I had a guy come up once and said, hey, my wife thinks you need to lose weight. And I I said, well, I'm pretty sure I would think your wife needs to lose weight. I mean, I don't, I mean, what do you, what do you do with that? I didn't say that, Amy. I did not say it. I thought it. I totally thought it. I did not say it. I said, oh, well, thank you. You know, I've got caloric issues. And um, no, I mean, yes, yes, I need to lose weight. Yes, yes. But is that sort of conversation helpful in any way, shape, or form? No. What Jesus is assuming is that because salvation in the Bible is salvation to a group of people. It's not salvation to just you and Jesus. So in some group, in some network, in some connection place, you are doing life with folks, the place where you could actually talk to each other about your blind spots and have it not be weird. Okay, that's the assumption, that you're in a group, you're in a class, you're in a fellowship, you're in something where you're on the inside of each other's lives. Now the second assumption is found in Luke chapter 6. So flip, yep, love him, miss him, he'll be back. Luke chapter 6. And we covered this uh, several months ago. I'm sure you remember it. It was breathtaking. Um, 
<laughs> it's so funny. The only one, the only one in our church that strings all of these sermons together in their head is me. Everyone else, just you kind of show up, you listen, you go do, and then you come back. And, it, and to me, they all make sense. They all fit together beautifully, and I'm the only one uh, who cares about any of that. Now, but that's okay. Jesus, he cares. Jesus, Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Now, the second assumption when you're pointing out faults is that you're not doing this. All right? Jesus says, verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Now, there is, the word for judge, if you remember, is the word crino. And the word crino means to separate, to categorize. There is a good kind of judgment in the Bible and a bad kind of judgment in the Bible. All right? The bad kind of judgment, the judgment Jesus is speaking of here, is the judgment that leads to condemnation. Because he says, do not judge, do not condemn, or you will be judged, or you will be condemned. They're parallel statements. So Jesus is talking, the bad kind of judgment is the judgment that goes from seeing your external behavior into reading into your internal life, your motives, your identity, your worth, your value. It's a separation of people, the bad kind of judgment. It's into the worthy and the unworthy, the righteous, the unrighteous, the, the, the sinful and the, and, and the religious. It's that kind of separating that Jesus, only Jesus gets to do that. Only Jesus sees the inside of everybody. The good kind of judgment, the judgment that's being assumed here, when, when Jesus says, hey, point each, out each other's faults, that good kind of judgment is a separation of things, not a separation of people. So it's a separation that says, hey, 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 that behavior is conducive to kingdom life and helpful or it's not. It's wise or it's foolish. It's good or it's bad. It's helpful or it's unhelpful. Do you see the difference? And then Jesus says, jump down to verse 41, one of the least practiced teachings of Jesus Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the two-by-four in yours? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in yours? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus says there is a place where we remove the specks from each other's eyes. Okay, right? That's assuming the good kind of judgment. But when you do that, you are to have the prevailing assumption that your sin is the equivalent of a two by four and their sin is the equivalent of a speck of dust. And whatever you're calling them out on, you probably have wrestled with too. Correct? So if I want to call someone out on pride, what's Jesus say? Let me acknowledge all the ways I'm proud. See, the assumption is you're on the inside of each other's lives. And in that progressive, gracious place, with no condemnation, there are times when someone sins against you or you see someone sinning, you would go and you would say, hey, 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 I'm not sure that's congruent with kingdom life. But you do that, even when you do that, under the assumption that your sin is way worse than their sin. Now, how often do we flip that around in the American church? In the American church, our favorite pastime is condemning whatever sins we don't struggle with and assuming those are the big ones and that ours are the small ones. I mean, it's ridiculous. Jesus is so clear on this, it's unmistakable. When you go approaching someone else on their stuff, 
You got a two by four, they got a speck. And that conversation is entirely different when you approach it that way, would you agree? So, Jesus says, as we're on the journey together, there are times when someone will sin against you. It's presupposed that the church is still full of sinful people who've been declared vindicated by Jesus. And that as you do that, you're going to bump into each other. So this is a normal part of church life. If you're looking for a church that is without hypocrisy, you will not find it. We're still all in process together. So as we're colliding against each other, what do you do? Well, Jesus says, Matthew chapter 18, if your brother and sister sins. Now, we're going to talk about next week what qualifies as a sin. Because he's not talking about, you know, I really don't like that the guy wears shorts sometimes on Sunday morning. Okay? Is that a sin? It's not a sin. I don't care. I don't care. I really don't care. If you think it's okay. Tim thinks it's okay. I think it's okay. We're good. No, no. I mean, very often, folks will take this passage and under the guise of sin, just confront things they don't like about each other. They're not necessarily sin. They're just, I don't like that. I don't like that this guy comes across as arrogant. I don't like that this guy comes... Okay. If you're not on the inside of their life, well, too bad. I mean, we don't just get the privilege of walking around dropping bombs on all the people we don't like. So we're going to talk, what do you mean sin? Like how egregious does that have to be? If, if, I, if someone's coming to shake my hand, but I accidentally turn away because I see somebody else and walk away, have I sinned against them? And that also speaks to this big if. One of the reasons why Jesus encourages people to talk to each other is because very often what you think is a sin against you turns out to just be a miscommunication or misunderstanding, right? Marriages. Married people. How many times does your spouse say something and you read it, you're having a bad day, your filter's off, you hear it one way, they meant it an entirely different way. But because you didn't go deal with it, you invented this big backstory, right? Anybody else do this? Come on now. Anybody else? You've got this massive backstory read from a fraction of a second of an intonation of a word in a sentence. But I got this big backstory. So one of the reasons why Jesus actually encourages people to go talk to each other is to determine if you've actually been sinned against or if you just have issues yourself, right? I mean, there's this, there's this sense in which Jesus is so practical. His body presupposes continued bumping up against each other. Yes, yes, yes. So when that happens, if you're on the inside of each other's lives, go to them and find out if it was actually a sin, Right, so so I may go to I may hear some somebody said something, and go to them and say, okay, did you actually say this? Why get mad at something if you don't even know it's true? So Jesus is eminently practical. So there's a big if if they sin, and then go and point out their fault, and then notice this little sentence right here. Just between what the two of you. Oh, but that's no fun, right? Person A has something against person B. And just to be sure they're right, they've got to go consult person C, person D, and person E, right? 
And pretty soon, and and it may not even be a legit sin because they haven't gone to the person to confirm it. So pretty soon what you've got is this little coalition against this person and this person has no idea. So the Bible's word for this, just to be clear, is sin. Just to be clear, the sin of triangulating. It's, it's refusing to go to the person and going and said, no, now listen, there are times when wisdom says, hey, I need to go float this by somebody else because it could be me. I could be way oversensitive. I could be way insecure. I need a filter check, right? So there are times you go to person C or person D, but person C's job and person D's job is to direct you back to person B. If it's a legitimate thing, are you with me on this point? Because what begins to happen, see, churches, most churches will not be destroyed by lack of passion. Most churches will be destroyed because this sort of practical body life is not followed. It's not comfortable having these conversations or receiving them. Right? I hear, I hear from folks all the time, I didn't like when you said this. I didn't like when you said this. I, this that was not a funny joke. That was actually a bad joke. Yes, I want to receive it all. But I also have a small crew of people who are speaking to the much larger issues in my life. And so Jesus simply says, listen, if somebody sinned against you or it's some sort of egregious thing, go to them, just the two of you. Determine if, it's, if your perception is reality. Right? And if you're freaked out, take one of them with you, right? His next sentence is, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by two or three witnesses. This is from Deuteronomy. And so there are situations where abuse has happened, where a crime, I mean, where where there's a power in, in inequality, where you might not feel safe approaching somebody by yourself. And so it is totally appropriate to take with you. But the goal is to actually have a real conversation. So there's another assumption buried in this. Is this in any way relevant to anybody? Because you're quiet. You're awfully, awfully quiet. We're being receptive. All right. I hope that's what it is. I hear everything you say. Everything. Now, Big Nate... Big Nate's coming to the 10 o'clock service now. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, he wanted to shout out. So Nate went to junior high camp at Hume Lake. And Big Nate, Big Nate, he's going into seventh grade. And, and so I have a question for you. We said, hey, Nate, did any girls flirt with you? Because he's handsome. Like his... And he said, well, some girl came up and said I was visually scrumptious. I'm like, what in the world? What? All right, so Matthew 18. I'm going to go confront this young lady here. So if... Your brother or sister, we're assuming we're in deep connection with each other. If they sin against you, right? This isn't just, this isn't, it's got to rise to a certain threshold, right? It just can't be annoying, petty things, or we could do this all day with each other. 
point out their fault, but you, when you point out their fault, you do it as somebody who's got a two by four in your own eye, and you do it just between the two of you. If they listen, you've won them over. Now, the word listen here, uh, to the Jewish mind, does not mean, I hear you. The word listen means they humble themselves, they repent, they walk in a brokenness, that there's some sort of reconciliation here, all right? Now, there's an assumption buried in here that I want to explore. Go to Proverbs chapter 12. So Proverbs um, is uh, it's a series of reflections on, on the life of wisdom. And wisdom, of course, is defined in Proverbs as the fear of the Lord. And, and, and I love one of the central ways you know if you are walking in wisdom is if you receive correction. It's really, do you despise correction or do you welcome it? So if you want to know what wisdom looks like in a life played out, do you receive it? Do you receive correction? So Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, this is about as blunt as you can get. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Whoever hates correction is stupid. (laughs) Right? Subtle. Solomon known for his subtlety. Verse 15 And we could multiply probably 30 different passages, say the same thing. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So Jesus is not only assuming that you're in connection with other people on the inside of their lives, Jesus is also assuming you are so in love with him that you would want to know when you sin against somebody else. And that it would matter to you that you want to know your blind spots, that you want to know the areas you've got room to grow in. Because when people come up and they point things out, I mean, that's never a a joyful process, right? Apologizing isn't easy. That's why we do it so rarely. So there's a sense in which Jesus is assuming you're the kind of person that seeks this out. Now, for me, that doesn't come naturally, so I have to kind of build it in. My wife and I, the missus and I, 15 years this week, holy matrimony, and uh, I'm going to ask her for a 16th year. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, but one of the things that we do is uh, on our anniversary night, I ask her every year, hey, what can I do to be a better husband? Now, the amount of time she's had nothing to say in answer to that question is zero, right? There's always something and unfortunately, some of the same items go from year to year to year to year to year. And that's, you know, we've got to work on that sort of thing. But how many marriages would benefit from each other asking that question on a regular basis? I ask my children, what can I do to be a better father? And my, I had to like live up to that when Big Nate was old enough to say, hey, Dad, I don't like that you nap on Saturdays when I'm home to play with you. It's goodbye nap, right? I mean, there was, there was, you go, okay, I'll just take a longer one on Sunday or whatever it is. But are you the kind of person who asks? Like I ask our, some of our pastors all the time, hey, what's it like to sit across from me in a meeting? What's it, uh, uh, what do I need to work on? How am I as a pastor? How am I as a leader? Our elders review me uh, and give me feedback. Uh, once a year about just how I am. And, and are you the kind of person that seeks this out? How many of our marriages would just benefit from two people humbling themselves saying, hey, we could use a referee on this one. 
You keep having the same fight over and 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 you never progress. You just kind of get tired of fighting and it's good until you have that same fight again. How many people would just benefit from being humble enough to say, yep, we need a referee on this? I mean, this is assuming you're the kind of person someone could approach and say, hey, that really hurt. Or I think that is really not conducive to kingdom life. It assumes that on the inside of life together, there are people who, are, who love you enough to say something and you love them enough to hear it. That's why just a truth bomb, hey, my wife thinks you need to lose weight, is irrelevant to me. I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll check everything I get to see, God, are you in this? But the stuff that matters most are the pe- from the people who are in the inside of my life. And then it's God looking at me saying, hey, are you a man willing to listen to your blind spots, willing to listen about your sins and your mistakes? If you're not that kind of person, I guarantee asking the people around you will be enlightening. So in all seriousness, if you want to know what an act of worship is, go out with your roommate, your significant other, your children, your parents, and say, how can I be a better whatever? And then listen to what they have to say. And for some of us, there's some huge stuff that's been sitting there. But see, Jesus Jesus calls us into the life of grace and then out of the life of grace to be gentle and gracious with each other. But there is a place where I do see, I cannot, I have this plank, but I do see a speck. And we have to talk about it. And for you, if it's too intimidating to talk to uh, that person by yourself, Jesus very practically take one or two others along. And then he says, verse 17, If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Now, how big was a church back in those days, right? 20, 30 people? I mean, my goodness, we've got 4,000 people that come. If we did the, hey, who sinned big this week list, that's all we'd be doing. And I'd be at the front of it every week, unfortunately. Right? I mean, when we talk about the church... He's meaning those pockets of people that are deeply connected. And there are times with incredible grief, we have to say to people, you're killing the community here. And for your, and out of love and with a hope for restoration, you just can't participate anymore. And parents have to do this with children sometimes. A child that is so full of rebellion, the parent finally, I mean, and, and horrifically has to say, I just can't allow you to hurt our family like this anymore. And the goal isn't because you don't love them. No, no, it's precisely because you do, that you do this. Now, is this, all of this capable of great abuse? Of course. People can throw around church discipline as a way to manage and control and, I mean, all sorts of horrible stuff. But what Jesus is getting at is so fundamental. Churches will not be destroyed for lack of passion, but they'll be destroyed because people don't do this. It's such a big deal. Go to Romans 1. This is like the big list of sins of humanity. And right in the middle, Paul has this interesting word that he uses. Romans chapter 1. And we're all guilty. 
But because we all fall short, it doesn't mean the ideal shouldn't be taught towards and fought for and spoken about. And so we just want to be a community of people who love Jesus enough and want to make, not want to make him beautiful, but put his beauty on display to the point where we're willing to do this work internally. I mean, Paul says this so graphically in 1 Corinthians. Christians were suing each other in law courts. And he says, do you understand how horrible that makes Jesus look? Why not just be cheated so that Jesus looks beautiful? See, we're looking for folks who are so concerned that the real image of Jesus gets put on display that all of our in-house stuff is in-house stuff. And we're not just dropping bombs on the culture out there. No, no, no. Judgment begins here. And, and we lose such authority to speak on issues out there because our own house isn't consistent or clean. And so, Paul says this long list of, of sins, sexual sin, I mean, just everything. And then he says, verse 29, Romans 1, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips and slanderers. And then right after that, (laughs) God-haters. See, I I want a hierarchy of sins. Right? Don't we want that? So at the top of my hierarchy of sins are like murderers and pillagers and abusers. I mean, yes, huge sins. And then there are other little sins. And it's true that not every sin uh, has the same amount of social consequence, no question. But I find it so interesting that gossip and slander is just right in the middle of that list. Because it's not one I particularly pay a lot of attention to, Right? But we have, all, we have whole industries and websites and magazines dedicated to just chewing on every morsel of all of our favorite people and celebrating their downfalls and languishing in their triumphs. And I mean, it's just the air we breathe. And then the scriptures, Jesus simply says, no, 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 no. If somebody sins, go to them. Just the two of you. If, 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 if there's a power inequality there, take someone with you. And be honest. It's hard to do this. That's why we don't do it. It's much easier to talk to my crew of folks that I know will agree with me than it is to go to the person. But this is how big a deal Paul sees it as. And it's not just so we all get along. It's so that Jesus, the beauty of Jesus is reflected in our community. Do you see that? Because if the community is just divided and devouring and factious and oh, da 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 da, I mean, Jesus isn't put on display beautifully there. The hard work of walking with fellow sinners is that we will bump into each other. And in those moments, Jesus gives us such practical wisdom. And so, brothers and sisters, I, I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment and to think about if there is somebody that you need to be reconciled to. Um, Jesus, Jesus puts this really graphically in, in Matthew 5. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, at the temple, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled. And so, maybe worship for, 
for you this morning, for me this morning, is to just think, okay, God, who's the person that I need to go talk to? Maybe I know a person is very upset with me about something and just in my pride, I've just said, nope, they've got to make the first move. And if there's a name that's screaming into your brain right now, don't run from that. If it's my name, you can just dismiss that entirely. (laughs) So Father, this is a tough teaching. We don't like this. We don't like this. And yet, Lord, we are on the road and need the help of the community. So my prayer, very simply, is that you would help us to see that we are a community of believers. We're not just a bunch of individuals having individual relationships with Jesus, but we are a collection together. And that you would help us to fight for the kind of community where these sorts of conversations can be had in a beautiful, beautiful way. And Lord, above all else, we want to look like you. We really do. We want to act like you and talk like you and speak like you and think like you, behave like you, be, be passionate about what you're passionate about. And so, Holy Spirit, we need your grace, your power, your presence to work in us, to call out sin, to release shame, to conquer fear, to bring truth, to bring darkness out into light. And so we bless you and we thank you and we ask, Lord God, for your grace in this as in all things. Amen.